this morning, it's the third week in a row where our church has talked about this building campaign. And we've asked you, Vito asked you, I didn't do it, Vito asked you, <laughs> to, to, come up with, to come up with $4 million together. And that is a lot of money to put into a church building. And so why would we do that? That's the question that I want to answer for you this morning. And there's a reason. To ask for that much, you better have a good reason. That money could do a lot of good in the world. Is this the right way to make that kind of investment? That's the single question that I want to answer. And I'll start with just one sentence to answer it. This is why it's worth investing here. This church building is for church building. Do you see what I did there? <laughs> I worked on that all week. <laughs> building is one of those words which can be a noun and it can be a verb. Mostly when we think about church building, we think about the noun. The physical structure where people come together on Sundays mostly to do religious things. That's the noun. But, but building can be a verb. Building is the process of creating and then developing and growing something on purpose with a good goal in mind, with a vision that guides you, building as a verb. In the early decades of the Christian movement, no one would have ever thought church building was a noun because the place where folks gathered to meet together in fellowship, to learn from God's word, to meet the risen Jesus in, in fellowship together, that was never called the church by them. The church was the people whom Jesus was bringing together and building up for his mission. They always thought of church building as a verb, the process of creating, developing, and growing disciples of Jesus on purpose with a, a plan in mind, with a vision guiding that process. The reason, the only reason this physical building, this church building noun is worth investing in is to the degree that it enables us to be involved in the verb of church building. Are you with me? Yeah. Listen to the way one of Jesus' followers invites ordinary folks to come to Jesus and be a part of that kind of church building. You are included. Listen to this. This is 1 Peter, and I'm going to read from chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Come to Jesus, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Here's the invitation. Come to Jesus, the living stone, the one who had a divine calling that was hard for mortals to see. They thought he was nothing. They rejected and he was chosen by God to do something that was beyond our capacity to even fathom when he came. But now you, I, am invited to come to him and then let him build me, build you into a spiritual building 
a house that he is constructing. Not only is he constructing it, but he's also a part of the construction. He is the cornerstone that holds us all together. Church building is the process where we answer that invitation, we come to him, and he builds us into something that he has made for a purpose, with a vision, with a plan. That is the kind of church building that I want to be a part of and we are asking you to invest in. How does it work? How does it work that people are built spiritually into a house? And I'm asking this question now practically and I'm hoping that you personally will be thinking of yourself as someone whom God has brought here to be built spiritually into the church building. Are you with me? I might ask you that more than once this morning. I'm going to answer the question and then we'll see it in scripture. Church building happens. The verb church building. That happens when we find our gifts that God has given us and then we use them to serve one another and the world around us in the way that God intended when he gave us those gifts. That's how church building happens. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul identifies this and describes how God gives people gifts so that they'll be a part of church building together to carry out his mission. Let's take some time here. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, here's what Paul writes. The gifts he gave, he's thinking about Jesus. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The church is built up when all people who come to Jesus are learning together how to use their gifts to serve. Now, every one of you has some gift an aptitude or a skill that is yours because God himself made you with that gift. If you've uh, been a Christian and, and have understood this fact and, and have walked with Jesus and learned to recognize that you have some gift that he's given you, then I, I hope this morning to remind you of it and inspire you to own that gift and use it more than you have before. If not... If you're a person who's come in and you're not sure what you believe about God, what God knows about you is that you have been made by him on purpose with some skill or aptitude which is entirely unique to you and which he gave you for a reason. And coming together into the community that is his, being drawn together by Jesus, coming to him as a living stone means coming with an understanding, an expectation that here you discover the gift that he gave you and begin to use it in the way that he intended when he gave it to you. It's not just here in Ephesians that Paul teaches that every person has a gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, you can read that whole chapter on your own. When you come to verse 6, you will read that God's spirit activates gifts in everyone. There, Paul talks about the different kinds of gifts that God has given for the upbuilding of his body, the body of Christ, and there are lots of different kinds, but he makes the point right at the start that every single person, by God's design, has been made with some unique God-given gift, 
everyone. In Romans 12, if you go to that letter and read how Paul addresses the Christians in Rome, you get to chapter 12, he says the same thing there. You are members of this body, every one of you, just like a body has different parts, you have a different function to serve. And it's not by accident, it's by God's design. And I look at you, this is how I look at you, and I think every one of you has some kind of gift to give. And my job, my responsibility in this community is to use my gift to help you discover and use your gift. And that's how we'll do church building together. Here, look at the gifts that he enumerates in verse 11. There they are. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now those, when you see those five together, those seem to be very churchy, don't they? Like those are the gifts for the professional clergy, the guy who wears a purple sweater and a green blazer on Sunday when it's too warm. Now those, those gifts are absolutely indispensable for the church. And again, the church has the people gathered together. But there is a massive misunderstanding about how ministry, how the church works, which Paul upends in this passage. He turns it right on its head because he knows this is what people think is ministry. If you're not doing this, then you're just receiving the ministry. No, it is the exact opposite. And if you pay close attention to what Paul writes here, you can see that that's actually backwards. These are not the only gifts that God gave for ministry. They are the gifts that he gave so that everybody else's gifts would be marshaled all together for the work of ministry. Look carefully at what he says. These gifts were given, it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you see that? In a sense, those five are instrumental for the real gifts. They're given to the saints. Now, maybe you've never thought of yourself as a saint, but you must hear me now. That phrase is about you right there. That, this phrase in the Bible is about you. We think of saints as somebody who performed a miracle and then had a day named after them. That's our invention. That is not what Paul meant when he wrote saint here. If you, if you read through the New Testament carefully, you see he opens a lot of his letters and he, he says, to the saints at Corinth. And those people are a mess, but he calls them saints. The saints, listen now, the saints are people who are called to hear the voice of Jesus and to are doing the very best they can to trust that voice. Are you doing that? I know you are. The saint, it means holy or called apart. That's the woman who's got her real life right here and she hears the voice of Jesus down the road saying, come this way, do not go that way. And she's working at trusting him and she's walking in a way that sets her apart whatever she's going through in life, whether it's her career or her family challenges or the work that she's doing in the cafe at the church or with the young people in the youth ministry, the saint, the holy one, is the one who's trying to trust Jesus. The man who's saying, I can't face this, I'm trusting Jesus. If that's you, and it should be, then this is for you. My gifts were given to equip you. Equip means to outfit or prepare or encourage or challenge or prod or push. And that's what I want to do with you is to push you to what end? Do you see it? For the work of ministry. That's not my job. It's yours. You're on the hook. Here, look at that single word, ministry. That's another one in Greek. That sounds very different than it does in English. In English, it sounds like a word that's at home in church, right? Church is where the ministry happens. In Greek, 
Diakonia, that is a word that sounds like it belongs in the restaurant in the center of the village where you live. The place where Vito is cooking his red sauce. I heard that. Man, I want that. Have you heard the word deacon? Maybe you've used that word or you've gone to a church and say, oh, the deacons. That's just a transliteration of the Greek word diakonia, which is rendered in English here as ministry. And in Greek, it literally means servant or server. That's what it means. So in ancient Greece, if you went to the restaurant, the person who pressed through the crowd while you and your friends were hungry and thirsty and brought you the drinks and the food, that was the diakonia. That was the servant. That was the minister. You, you, all of you, have a gift that God gave you for doing ministry. And church building, in the way that I'm pleading with you to invest in, first of all, by giving your whole self to it, is the process where you say, okay, I've never dreamed of myself as a minister before, but I'm ready to do that right now. How have I been equipped by God for this work? That's your responsibility. My job, everyone who stands up here, is to remind you of that truth about you and then encourage and equip and challenge you to use that gift to build up the body of Christ, this church that we're all a part of. Listen, what gift is it for you? For some of you here listening to me, it might be that one of those five enumerated in verse 11, chapter four of Ephesians, is your God-given gift. You might be a prophet. You might be an evangelist called by God to go and bring the good news and summon people to Jesus. Someone here, some of you here, are gifted as pastors, shepherds who go and, and tend to the flock with your heart turned toward them. Some of you are pastors and teachers you are gifted for exposition and you've never done it yet. Maybe you're more gifted than I am or Pastor Vito is. Maybe that's your gift. Maybe not. It's, it's a complete misunderstanding to imagine that those are the only ones. If you would go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Romans chapter 12, you would discover there, there are spirit-given gifts which you maybe have never imagined were actually gifts for ministry. Here's one, hospitality. Maybe you open your home up and you set the table. You put the nice tablecloth out and the fine dishes. You cook the best meal, the one that your grandmother taught you to make. And when your guests come over, they open the door. It's the, gar the roasted garlic punches them right in the face. And they come in and then there's a plate and a pasta. There's prosciutto. There's salami. There's gabagool. There's two different kinds of cheeses. There's red wine. All of it's right there. That is a spirit-given gift. Why did God give that? To serve. Maybe that's not your gift. Maybe you're a leader. Maybe you have the, the God-given gift to see a project down the road and you know how to organize all of these people and get them motivated and moving in the same direction so that the idea turns into reality and God made you with that gift. And maybe you come to this church and you see they have a lot of potential, but th the potential isn't being actualized because nobody's organizing this particular group. And maybe you get involved and you make it happen. Maybe you go into the children's ministry area and you see these young children who have so much potential, it's hard to even imagine. You spend a few weeks in there. You say, you know, all of this negativity about how bad the world is, if only people would sit with these children and see how promising the world is. They're so good. There's, and you lead in the children's ministry. 
Or you say, you know what? I'm gonna turn this gift of hospitality into the way that I serve in the community groups ministry at the church that I go to. I, I can't teach, I can't evangelize, but I can make a mean gravy. Do you see what I'm saying? Maybe your gift, it's not leadership, it's not hospitality, maybe it's compassion. Maybe your heart hurts and aches so badly when you see that injustice in the world. It's not just something that you want to post about. You want to do something about it. Because when that person hurts, you hurt. You want to be with them in their grief and in their pain. And you do. You go and sit with them. They're lonely and you sit beside them and you just listen. Maybe you get involved in grief share at, at this church or divorce care or you're involved in rays of hope here, or maybe you don't do it here. Maybe you do it somewhere else. You use that gift as God intended when he gave it to you, and you are a part of church building. Every one of you, every one of you, as long as God was the one who made you, has some gift that the Spirit wired into you when you were being woven in secret in your mother's womb. The Bible tells us that. Maybe for you, it's the gift of discernment. You have a spiritual ability to see something that others can't see. Maybe it is the ability to speak spirit-inspired speech. In prayer, you, you find yourself drawn into God's presence. You don't even know what you're saying. The spirit is speaking through you. Maybe it's the gift of exhortation. Maybe it's the gift of generosity. You are profoundly generous. Maybe it's the gift of prayer or the gift of wisdom. Maybe you can heal others who are wounded and hurt. You're with them. God uses you to bring his own healing about. Whatever gift you have, God has given richly. He gives richly to every church. He's given profoundly richly to this particular church. I know that because the ones of you that I know, I can see it. It's so obvious to me. As we come to Jesus as a group so that we can grow and learn to exercise the gifts that God has given us in ministry, in service here and outside of here, then, then we are engaged in Church building. And, and to the extent that we do that, we should give what's needed to make it happen. If we do this and we succeed at it and we're building up this church, as we exercise our ministry together, look at what Paul says. When we exercise our gifts for ministry together, it is for building up the body of Christ. That is meant to put this whole thing in the grandest and most divine perspective that you can have. The way God has decided to fortify and edify his presence in the world is through ordinary people like us who are coming together and saying, show me my gifts, I'll use them. When we do that, God builds us into the body of Christ. When we come and say, show me and inspire and fill me and motivate me and move me and I'm yours, then what will happen is this community will be strengthened, edified, developed, and made strong and we will thrive in the mission that God has called this community into being when he made us. And then we will shine like a city on a hill in a place that's dark. Does that phrase sound familiar? You know who said that? I stole that from Jesus. <laughs> You're allowed to do that up here. Then we will bring the kind of preserving and savoring effects into the world like salt. Jesus said that too. He told us that's who we are, salt and light. When we do this, when we choose together to set our gifts in the service of the true master Jesus as a community saying, build us up, when we're doing that, 
when we're working together at it, I'm using my gift and you're using your gift all together. Look at what Paul says at the end of this section in Ephesians. We're gonna see this church building itself up in love. How about that as a hope? Try to imagine that. To me, it is a profoundly beautiful and inspiring image to picture a spiritual house that is building itself up in love. Not the sentimental idea, but the choice, the self-sacrificing choice to do what is good for the other, no matter what it costs you and without hope for reward. Love, like Jesus loved and gave himself for us. We are invited into a dynamic edifice that grows by becoming more and more loving, a community of true goodness. Here, try to picture this, becoming altogether more effective in acts of benevolence that bless the world. People within this community are learning to be more patient and kind-hearted. Could any of us use that? Yeah. Yeah. Finding ourselves in a place where generosity begins to spread and the needs of any one person become the concern of all of the people that Jesus is gathering together and building up. And with the resources that we have, as we share them and put them to work toward good ends, they turn into an instrument that meets the world's needs and proclaims the goodness of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of the world. Can you picture that? Imagine it, people are coming together and in no other place are they given a second chance, but here they're given a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. And maybe even a fifth chance. And according to Jesus, seven times 70 chances. Why? Because here, the Lord is the Lord of mercy who extends forgiveness at his own expense. Can you picture being in a community like that where outsiders and the lonely are welcomed warm-heartedly and become friends? People who have been aimless are finding purpose and joining a mission that is much bigger than they are and moves them toward acts of trust and confidence that they could have never done on their own. Young people are being delivered from hopelessness and anxiety and depression and the sad outlook that we adults have when we say, oh, can you believe the world today? Can you imagine that? I can't tell if you can. I can. Can you imagine seeing a group of high school students and middle school students and then as an adult being embarrassed that you've been so hopeless about the world because you see their faith alive and burning bright and you say, that is what Jesus came to bring. I can picture that. That is church building. And that is why we should invest in this church building. And as listen, as long as I'm here, my calling is to use my gifts that the Spirit gave. So teacher and pastor, uh, sometimes a bit of an evangelist, that's me. I'm gonna use those to equip you for your work of ministry. I need you, not because you're gonna be faithful to me, but faithful to Jesus, who made you, who loves you, who has a will toward you that's beyond what you could even imagine in terms of its goodness. I need you to say to him, I'm ready to be used Build with me. Will you do that? Yeah. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so, so much that you have given me the privilege of having a calling of being a pastor here in this community. I thank you so much for the generosity and the commitment and the benevolence of so many people who have gone before me and even all of us in this room having minds and hearts that were open to your calling when they started this church. 
I thank you for the gifts and the generosity that was given sacrificially over the decades that uh, men and women who had uh, what they had were willing to, to give with an open hand time and energy and skills and money to so that this church could become what it is right now. You know perfectly what we need. You also know perfectly that you've given us everything that we need. And this morning I pray that every one of us would answer your call to be as generous financially as you are calling us to be. And we would also answer your call to accept the gifts that you've given us in our spirit-inspired skills and aptitudes and help us give our whole selves to you so that you can make us into the men and women who are the ministers of your good news in the world in whatever capacity you've called us to do it, whether we're teachers or leaders or compassionate lovers of others, hospitable, whatever the gifts are that we use, help us do that in faithfulness to you altogether. And in that way, we ask that you would be building this church. And then we pray that as we are faithful to you, you would use us to inspire and invite others into your love so that they themselves would come to you, the living stone, and would also be built into this spiritual house with us as they're awakened to the gospel, as they come to faith in you and choose to regard you as their Lord and Savior, and then with us as brothers and sisters in this family of faith, open the doors wide so that more and more people can come to you and taste your salvation and see that it is good. God, inspire us, move us, fill us as you do this in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.